Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Lynn Freeman, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. The past nine months have been a roller coaster of emotions and change for Ashburton parents Joe and Dean Taylor. Last year, their 13-year-old son Tom was diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma. Joe has moved to Christchurch to be at Tom's side, while her husband Dean stays at home running the family farm. On a parenting slot this morning, we're focusing on the realities and practicalities of looking after a sick child, the effect it has on the family dynamics, and the sorts of things that can make this tough time a little easier to bear. Joe is in our Christchurch studio. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Lynn. And Dean is on the line, I think, from home. Hi, Dean. Oh, good morning, Lynn. Uh, Joe, first of all, how's Tom? Introduce us to Tom, and, and how is he doing? Sure. Well, Tom was just a, a normal 13-year-old boy um, last year. He loved his sport. He played rugby, hockey, tennis, really anything going. He could run. He did cross-country. Um, and we just noticed him him slowing down and just not quite um, as fast or as, as active as he used to be. Uh, and then he started getting some chest infections, and we started to get concerned. We had a few trips to the doctors. No, look, don't worry about those lumps in his neck. He'll be fine. And uh, they'll go down. He's a 13-year-old boy. And just they they never went down, Lynn. And so we started on this journey when um, we got the, the final diagnosis. But Tom's just come through uh, the chemotherapy. Uh, he finished just over um, a month ago. And he's now reintegrating back to school and, uh, yeah, we're starting to be able to look forward again, which is fantastic. You're very straightforward in the way, Joe, that you tell that story. But is there any lingering anger? You said that those lumps were yeah. essentially undiagnosed. And it wasn't deliberate, clearly, on the part of the medical practitioner. Nobody wants to let something like that go through. But look, on reflection, how do you feel about it? Look, absolutely. I look back and I think you always look at what you could do differently. And I don't think we could do anything differently. We, as I said, every every month, I guess, when he's, these glands hadn't gone down in his neck and he had finished his antibiotic treatment for a, a chest infection, he, you know, I took him back to the doctor and, oh, well, if they haven't gone down in a couple of months, you know, come back. And it was only after he was actually playing in a tennis tournament in Dunedin and we went to a fantastic um, after-hours surgery down there because there was a particular lump that had appeared just under his clavicle um, and his shoulder. And I thought, this is not good. And I knew then that that we were on a different road. He actually thought, this doctor um, thought it was tuberculosis. And I thought my worst nightmare was that... I would have to tell the school principal that Tom had tuberculosis and, and the nightmare that that would then cause for him. Um, however, I actually wish that that had have been my that my worst case scenario. Um, it became a lot worse when we got the actual diagnosis a few weeks later. Dean, and, when you did get, sorry to interrupt, yeah. Joe. Dean, when you did get that, I think it was a late night phone call actually, uh, that diagnosis, how do you approach 
talking to your child about this? Um, look, the, the, the challenge there was, um, and it, it actually carried on all the way through, was that um, it, it was very inclusive, the, the discussions. Um, and 13 is an interesting age in lots of ways, I guess, that um, they're at that you know, big time change of life and they're asking lots of questions generally along the way. Um, you know, for Tom, you know, right from scratch, we, um, we were inclusive. We sat down and said, this is what we've got to do, this is what we face. Um, this is the time frame that we believe we're working in. Um, what we didn't know, and, and, and there are lots of things we didn't know, was that we were on a crash course to um, beginning the, the, the process, I guess, beginning the treatment, but we didn't know exactly when that would be. Um, we kind of wanted it yesterday um, as parents, I guess. Um, and, and for Tom, you know, we, we had time and it was tough. It was, it was exceptionally tough, of course, to start with um, and, and through the process too, of course, but... Um, we worked through that um, with him, and we were we were honest up front as the um, the people that were the professionals in the in the business were as well, really. So, yeah, I believe he'd actually uh, googled his symptoms and believed that you know he, he knew what was wrong with him before that official diagnosis came through. That's pretty confronting too, isn't it? Look, absolutely, Lynn. He um, that was something that came out just in a car trip. Um, a few months into treatment, um, he sort of we were talking about the process, and and he said to me, "Look, Mum, I, I googled it before you told me. Um, I knew it was cancer, so that was that was really confronting. It really sort of set me back a little bit that um, you know he'd taken so much on board so quickly, um, and and he was already starting to you know he'd already been processing it. Extraordinary mm. at thirteen, mm. isn't it, to show that sort of maturity?" Absolutely, and I think that's the thing about getting a diagnosis like this is that it suddenly thrusts them into a situation that nobody wants for their child, but they suddenly have to deal with things that that even their closest friends and and siblings to a certain extent can't understand, uh, and they really need and have um, a lot of grit. And I think when you look at children um, that are undergoing this sort of treatment, they are just amazing. You know, they are so inspirational. They really do just get on with it. They know that the pills that the the nurse is bringing them or the, you know, the, the bags of chemotherapy that are about to be injected into their veins aren't going to be pleasant, but they just all right, get on, to, get on with it. And, and you know that we had a laugh in hospital once. The nurse was bringing Tom more and more medication, and every time he'd just say thank you. Um, and she said, "Tom, you don't have to say thank you. This is really going to be horrible." <laughs> um, but it was just his way of dealing. It's like, right, I need it. It's going to get me better. Um, thank you, and we'll just get on with it. Thank you very much. What about those after effects of chemotherapy? Because it can range, I think he's had um, issues with his eyesight. It, it can even you know, impact on fertility, and that's a hard conversation to have with a teenager. Oh, look, that was a particularly hard conversation. Once we had the diagnosis, Lynn, it was quickly a matter of they wanted to get him um, started on, on chemotherapy really quickly. But the, the conversation around, well, he's 13, he, um, his fertility may be affected and they talk about percentages of it still being possible that he'd be able to father children down the track. But we wanted to preserve his fertility as much as we possibly could, which meant having a conversation. And I was just saying we had a, you know, the outpatients area in, in Christchurch Hospital is brilliant, but it's busy and there's lots of children and lots of families. And the young resident doctor sort of asked Tom a you know, Tom, so tell me, have you been having wet dreams? 
And the, you could have heard a pin drop in the place. <laughs> it was, and Tom sort of looked at me with these big eyes and just got on with it. We had the discussion that, yes, we all agreed that we wanted to try and preserve his fertility. So he did have a, have a biopsy um, as part of one of his surgeries. And we, you know, we took that, um, that conversation on board. And I think it's an important one that all um, children with this diagnosis need to have from probably around 9, 10 and onwards, um, it is possible to to preserve that fertility with the technology they have these days. Dean, you've got four other children too, quite a, an age span here, but we've concentrated obviously on your conversations with Tom, but also you need to involve the other children. And I assume that you had that same open approach to them as you had to Tom? Absolutely. Um, one of the, I mean, one of the benefits today, with one being the treatment and the technology and the cards in your pack, is also um, having the ability to communicate um, really well, no matter where, where you know um, we are in the world today. And I think that's absolutely important. You know, so there was a lot of um, information. Um, time went slowly. You know, this this is a long term um, um, job, you might call it. You know, that we work away from day to day and from hour to hour. Um, but at any stage, we're communicable. And I think, you know, where we're at today, as opposed to where we might have been 20 or 30 years ago, um, makes such a difference that, you know, we're only a phone call away and we could be, you know, we can be Skyped or we can we can visit when we're closer if we're lucky. And, and everyone's in a different situation in that regard. You know, some people are having to travel an awful lot further. Um, some are having to stay back and work. Um, there's all those sort of variables, but as far as the, the kids are concerned, you know, um, it's not perfect. And to start with, you all want to be together as a single hub, but the reality is that, you know, life is in the big picture um, has to carry on as well. I imagine it's brought the family even closer together, has it? it absolutely. I mean, it's a, you don't want to ever wish this on anyone, um, obviously, to make you realise what's important and uh, and prioritise and, and some of the things you used to um, worry about or think were important um, pretty quickly drop off the radar. So, um, yeah, it's certainly been um, a real bond, I guess, um, yeah, for whatever reason, you know. Well, Joe, it's brought you together, even closer together emotionally, but, of course, physically, you farm south of Ashburton, so you're spending time with Tom in Christchurch, and I think your 10-year-old uh, has moved up to Christchurch with you, so the family's kind of split too, which is hard in times like this. Oh, it has been. Um, we we took the decision pretty early on that once we worked out what Tom's um, treatment regime was going to be, that um, if we could, we wanted him to be able to get to school uh, as much as possible, and he'd just been accepted for boarding at, at St Andrews College in Christchurch. Um, obviously, he couldn't board um, because he's, he's immuno, um, he has no uh, ability to fight infections or, or anything. His immune, um, immune status is completely zero most of the time. So living up here at least gave him an option to get to some um, school days, which was which was great. And so we then made the quickly made the decision that Kate would need to move as well because for two reasons. She's a great foil for Tom. As a 10-year-old little girl, um, she just gnashes away and she makes him giggle. And if that's one thing that you look for when you're undergoing this sort of treatment or this part of your life is those moments when you can just have a, a giggle and a laugh. And, and so that was really important. And also um, to enable Dean to come up to, to Christchurch, um, he wouldn't have been able to, 
to actually come up if Kate had still been at school and involved in the in the community in Ashburton. So she really had to come up here to give him the flexibility to a stay at home and, and b get up here quickly or um, when he he needed to as well, which has worked out really well. Um, and so. I think it's not just the, the child with the diagnosis that you need to think about. It is the wider family. Um, and so it has had a huge impact on, on young Kate. Um, she's dropped, she's had to be pulled out of her friends and, and dropped into a, a brand new school here. Uh, and they've been brilliant. They opened, you know, welcomed her with, with open arms and we've been very fortunate in that regard. And it was about trying to look at what some of the positives were about that for Kate as well as for Tom. Um, and that was things like she could get a scooter. Um, we can't scooter to school um, where she is. She has to take the school bus. But here she can scooter down the road to school and she can scooter to a tennis lesson and she can scooter to an art lesson. Um, so those are some of the positives that we've been able to say. This is part of you know this, this short time that we're going to be in Christchurch. Let's make the most of it for Kate as, as well as for Tom. Well, you've both taken a lot of positives from this experience, which is really heartening. And Dean, I think... Uh, one of the other things you've looked at is is not being afraid to talk about what you need because it often is the way that we're very resilient. You know, that word comes through a lot, doesn't it? And self-sufficient and we'll, you know, force our way through the toughest of situations. But is this something that, that you've learned also to when people offer help, as they often will, to accept it? Absolutely. And it's... Um it's kind of interesting that because um, often you don't expect you're going to be the one that, that requires the help. I guess we, you know, it's the glass half full attitude in, in life and that's the way it should be. But when when your time comes for whatever reason it may be, um, accepting that because we tend to try and do things ourselves, I guess, in the first instance. But people are so generous and we had, um, you know, incredible numbers of um well, uh, you know, situations like that where, you know, people would offer something and sometimes they didn't know you know, and I know that when we've done it in the past, you know, what can we do? What what can be something that's practical, I guess? Um, you know, it might be mules dropped in, doing the garden or the lawns or just having a yarn. And I had some um, down here, and I know Joe did too, you know, that phone calls or visits from people. And, and it was really good because it just got you back and you talked about all sorts of things. You know, it's about life and, and the normal things rather than becoming more and more um, fixated in, in just a small area, which most of the time we kind of had to be. But, you know, I look back at that now and, and, and some of those calls were just simple calls, you know, just one that's spontaneous and different ones that would ring once a week or, or whatever and have a yarn, you know. And that's critically important for our own well-being because we've got to be strong and, and fit and stay strong and focus on what's important, but also um, sort of normalise what we need to do as well. So, you know, both Joe and I are very conscious of how important that is. And having visitors to come and spend time with Tom too, once he's he's up for it. I think he's, some of his mates have come to hospital, and that's a big thing. Oh, look, it is. It was um, again the the best part was just seeing him do some normal things. You know, they'd jump up on the bed with him, or and um, have a pizza and watch a movie. It was it was just really really special in that regard. And yeah, his big brother was was like that as well. He would come down from he's in in the Hawks Bay, and he would um, come down as much as he could and, and do the same thing. They'd just do boy stuff together. And that's really important. And that was that was time that I could leave that hospital room as well, because you get into that little bubble of of the room, and you, you tend to stay there. So it's nice to have that um, the diversion of of mates just coming in and being able to take Tom away from from where he is, even though he's physically still there. Um, it's just a, a fantastic distraction. And another thing for parents in this situation to think about is that you get the diagnosis. 
But even the treatment isn't the end. I mean, you, you're looking long term once you, once you cope with the immediate shock of it all. That's right, Lynn. And I think a lot of people don't realise that you get this wonderful remission and that is absolutely what you're striving for for the whole journey of treatment. But it's probably only half or not even the whole, it's certainly not the whole journey. You've then got these complications of the of the actual treatment itself. And in Tom's case, he's got things like a um, a stress fracture in his one of his vertebrae that we're, we're just dealing with. And so there's... Um, it, it does go on. It's a long-term recovery and rehabilitation, and that's um, it doesn't just end when you get that wonderful remission um, state. Even though that's that's what everyone is going for, it's, it's really just a lot longer than that. And, and the good thing about um, good thing <laughs> a childhood cancer is that they look after your child into until they're sort of 23, 24. Now they have a fantastic later fix program um, and so we know that Tom will be followed up or that we have access if we have any concerns about Tom's health at all that I have um, the late effects nurse now that I can text or call um, and and we'll be straight back into that system um, and, and getting Tom the, the treatment that he needs which is fantastic um, they've been amazing. You are Tom's advocate in the hospital, Joe, of course, and I think you're an expert on medical terminology, which is a useful thing to have. But we talked before about how open you both have been um, with Tom about his condition. How have you found the medical uh, professionals? Because back in the day, of course, you know, people in white coats wouldn't yeah. wouldn't talk to patients, and they certainly wouldn't talk to children. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you found that side of it? Is, is Tom anxious, keen to know as much as possible about the treatment and prognosis and that sort of thing? Yes, look, he is, Lynn. Um, He does take it all in. He's a 13-year-old boy, so he's very much at the grunting stage, and they're not talking a whole lot anyway. So he... um he left, I guess, questions to me. He would, we would then talk about it quite a bit afterwards, and and he had taken on board everything that the doctors were saying. But they would turn to Tom all the time. Tom, have you got any questions? And and he, in that moment, he could never think of the questions that he wanted to ask. He had them, um, but we just needed to to process it in a different way. So it's yes, it's an interesting part of of the journey. And I think as a parent, you need to not be scared to ask those questions. You are the one constant in your child's healthcare journey. You are the one that's by their side the whole time. Um, nurses and to some extent the medical staff come and go um, with different shifts and uh, yeah, different different people. And so quite often they'll turn to you and ask, you know, so what does Tom have for pain relief for this? Or you know, and so questions that suddenly you're you're thrust right into the middle of the um, of the treatment regime as well, and I think it's really important to to be prepared as much as you can and learn as much as you can about what's happening. Um, and and Tom was fully engaged with that as well. He knew um, it may not have been a conversation that he had with the doctors or nurses himself, but he and I or he and, and with Dean would also have that conversation um, afterwards, and he would ask those questions. So what's going to happen here? Or yeah, he he did always want to know. Dean, for Tom, I, I, I know he's had moments of frustration, understandably. Is he concerned that he won't be able to get back to what he was? Because Joe mentioned before he was a you know, sporty outdoor kid there in Ashburton, you know, out, um, and then even integrating to school. Uh, it's, it's a big thing after going through this kind of treatment. He, d- he won't want to be treated differently, but he's gone through so much. He will be more mature than he was before, but in other ways also he will have changed. Yeah, look, absolutely. Um... Being a sporting, and he was naturally sporting, I guess, so 
uh, quite a bit of that came um, kind of easily, I, I guess you'd say, looking back. Um, you know, he performed well. He performed, you know, nearer the top end of the of the spectrum in that regard. And, and now what he's having to learn is that, that he's um, having to start off, um, you know, behind the eight ball a little bit, you might say, um, and having to work hard now over the next, you know, for those, um, the comment generally is that, you know, it'll take kind of six months to gradually... Um, rid the body of some of the um, chemicals and, and gradually build up his coordination, his, um, his, um, his fitness, you know, all those things that you kind of took for granted, he kind of took for granted and we, we did too to a degree. And so you're, you're on the pack now and he's, it'll, be, it'll be interesting um, and challenging for him um, in the next while to, to be patient enough, I guess, to, to build that stamina, to build, you know, his, his um, expectations again um, but we're saying it's a really short period of time. You know, he'll look back one day and say, "Gosh, that you know, like that was only nine months." You know, that's that's what we're you know, you come at it from that angle, I guess, and and say, "Look, you know, we've got to be patient. Let's work this year. This year is only a year, isn't it? We'll work through that process and gradually build up, and and one day look back with a, you know, with a positive outcome further down the down the track." So that's how we treat it, I guess. And Joe, for you, your kind of caregiver and parent, and their related roles, but they're also different roles you know to be Tom's parent uh, there are decisions that you have to make maybe you have to say no to him sometimes even though the temptation might be to always say yes oh look very much so Lynn and I think probably more so as you as you come out of treatment and start to reintegrate back into normal life um, while you're in hospital there's very little no and as I said probably Fortnite was his best friend uh, during the the treatment days in hospital he could disappear into that world he could giggle and laugh with his mates and that was great so unlimited almost unlimited screen time Uh, and now as we come out of that uh, we're very much having to restrict and and have limited screen time and and put things away um, and and that's really difficult and it's a very fine line between um, when he's being just a normal 13-year-old that just doesn't want to get off the couch um, or is my little uh, uh, radar on my, you know, saying, oh, actually, no, he's not feeling well. I need to leave him there. I don't need to sort of be the grumbly mum and get him off the couch. So I find myself constantly questioning every um, decision and every um, every command now uh, and running it past that cancer filter. Is it is it because he's unwell or is it because he's a 13-year-old boy? So... Hopefully that will uh, get better as we get further down the track, but it's certainly a factor at the moment. Dean, one of the, the few silver linings here, I guess, is that your family, while ripped apart for this amount of time, you are financially stable and you've been able to make this work. You've been able to adapt and to, to manage to accommodate um, Tom's illness. But I think you're aware of people who, who aren't in the situation to do this and your heart must go out to them who can't make it work. Oh look, absolutely, Lynn. Um, I was. Oh, it was two weeks ago. I went to. Uh, um, it's a, it was a dad, um, um, out, um, outdoor sort of pursuits event uh, in, in Auckland, and there was a group of um, fathers. You know, we all got together with all different stories. Um, absolutely everything that could be different and, and, and the same in some cases. You know, was there. You know, people with different stories, um, and some of the stories were horrendous. You know, there were geogra- geographical um, difficulties. Um, Single parent scenarios, um, you know, people with uh, without the, um, you know, the as you say, the, the financial um, choice, I guess, um, and, and there's just everything there, and it really, you know, brought home to us just how difficult it must be, and even just simply from a jobs perspective, you know, um, I'm self-employed, so there's a little bit more flexibility 
obviously there, but guys that and guys and girls that are in a situation whereby they've they've got a job to keep down. Um, they, they've got a certain number of sick days. Obviously, they've got you know all sorts of aspects that that are um, you know just it's, it's surreal really when you when you hear some of those stories and um, you know all these stories and the length of time of treatments and and um, yeah just everything really. So yeah, that, that's um, it's tough for the support being able to speak together, um, talk about our, our journeys, I guess, and, you know, the, the ability to communicate um, online or whatever it might be and forming, you know, sort of support groups and the likes um, is something that we can look really positively at today and being transparent and being able to communicate is really important. Joe, just to, to bring this to a conclusion, what advice can you give to parents who in the next few weeks or few months may find themselves in the same situation, their child is diagnosed with uh, a, a chronic illness, uh, what, what advice can you give them? Um, I, th- I guess the things that I've learnt along the way is patience. Um, you're going to spend a lot of time sitting. It might be sitting at home. It might be sitting in hospital, more than likely. Uh, and so you just need to be patient. Um, when you are really sick, the doctors and nurses are right there. Um, but if you're in there for a, a set treatment, um, you just need to be patient. They they will get to the, get to you. Um, not to sweat the the small stuff. It becomes completely irrelevant. Um, if you can, you you change around your life and your focus to just focus on getting that child as well as you can. And I think understanding that um, you can't control everything. Um, A lot of control in this situation is taken out of your hands as a parent, and that's really quite difficult. Um, But you can control how you respond to that. And I think being calm on the outside was one of the most important things that I could do for Tom. If I was calm, uh, then he was calm too, and that was that was really important. I mean, some of the practical things, um, a soft blanket was his best friend to take wherever we went um, and into hospital was, was fantastic, and distractions, um, something light and funny. You know, we watched the whole series of Modern Family and the Goldbergs. If you want funny series to watch with the kids, then, then watch those too. They just make you giggle. Um, and a digital thermometer was probably my best friend as well. Um, it just makes taking temperatures just so much easier. It's worth the investment. Um, and, yeah, that's that's certainly where I would... Those things I would recommend, Lynn. Well, thoughts to you. Our best wishes to you all, Joe, Dean Taylor, and also to Tom, if you're listening. A shout-out to you, buddy. Uh, thank you for sharing so much with us on Nine to Noon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.